Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. Today, Wizard Number 50, the, the, the magazine that started the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, is under the microscope. But first, we got to let you guys know that these videos are brought to you by the comic books that we make. So we need you to buy them. Keep That's those right. lights on, man. Uh, Red Room, the anti-social network, Red Room trigger warnings. Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is the name of the game in the Red Room universe. These are the uh, books that I have out on the stands uh, right now. Get them while they're hot. Jimmy has Hulk Grand Design Monster and Madness, wrapping up the complete saga of the Incredible Hulk from uh, beginning to World War Hulk, I believe. It's going to be getting that uh, Treasury Edition format in 2023, super early in, in that the, the new year. And Street Angel Deadliest Girl Alive trade paperback is in stores right now as we speak. It's got a new iteration out there. No excuse not to have this on your uh, bookshelf. Eight complete stories in all. And I'm going to be at Tokyo Comic Con with Uncle Jeff Darrow at the end of uh, November. Uh, so if you're in that region, stop by. Got prints, got books, got all kinds of stuff for sale. And without further ado, Jimmy. Let's take a look at uh, Wizard Magazine number 50 with a fleared up version of the cover from Wizard number one. And I could speak from experience as a person who was there at this time. This shit felt bleeding edge and unrefined even back then. You know how sometimes you see like uh, old computer graphics and, and you wonder like, wow, those people were really fooled or... You know, like my dad has stories about the original King Kong and how it scared the pants off of him. I was never convinced that this is the way to go. You know what's? We're going to see like three or four examples of this, though. This was so trendy, this kind of uh, weird soft painter style. I don't know. I think I think it's paint, not digital, but I could be wrong because it's so early days. But you'll see ads in this issue of card. They had whole card sets like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. This it's, is the uh, overpower cards. I, yeah. And I, I don't know how much people objected to it. I feel like if you were drawing in pen and ink, you're like, what is this crap? Yeah. But otherwise I feel like this was it. This was good stuff. It really does feel like the color layer of, uh, in, uh, an illustration, like we should scan in the line art for, uh, that Todd McFarlane piece, put it over top and see what, see what that uh, looks like. But Jimmy over on the stage left or just slightly off camera, you have a copy of Wizard Magazine, and yeah, uh, I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the abs here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm confused. Yeah, I'm very confused. It looks like he has a one pack, and I thought maybe I would uh, outline what I see there, and we'll we'll guess what this shape is, right? So we've got a leg coming in here. We've got a leg sticking up here, you know, just to give some context for what what the region, of the body that we're looking at, right? Yeah. So here we go. Leg, leg, crotch, all this stuff, and there's this shape. It's a gigantic, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a gigantic ab. <laughs> and then maybe a little ab beside it there. <laughs> what is happening in this drawing? Like, what are we coloring in? You're Am I right? right? That's exactly the, the, the shadows that are on his abs. Am I lying? It, uh, what do they call that, a priapism? <laughs> I don't know, man. He took some of that herbal equivalent that cost $1 at, at the local Keystone hardware store. If you remember, there was controversy around Lobo's back number one because it looked like there might be a penis drawn for a tricep. I feel like the guy painting this picture is having some fun with the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man stomach. He's got it tucked up. He does. That's one of the consequences <laughs> of getting bitten by, the, uh, by a radioactive spider, man. But hey, 50th anniversary. He's excited. <laughs> Jumping in immediately 
you've got uh, th- this is an interesting piece right here. This is an ad for <laughs> for, for for Glory Evangeline, but uh, I just wonder how like the accounting works for this kind of a book because it's Rob Liefeld bleeding his image uh, character Glory with his Evangeline character from Maximum Press together. So how do the economics of that shake out? Is this a thing uh, that would be an example of like rising tide raises all ships where like the image popular characters are going to prop up this new venture that he's putting together. It'll be interesting to watch this story unfold in future issues because I think this is going to be part of the rift between Rob Liefeld and image and maybe creative accounting or having a uh, competitive, you know, competition. Maximum Press becomes its own publisher. Now you're in direct competition with image. This era of Liefeld, he's, he's pushing way more to the abstract and like those hips have never been cocked more than they are at this, at this stage in his career. It is an acute angle. It's yeah. not even a 90 degree angle what her how her spine is bent. It's acute. That is contortionist. The only people to apply for a job is an image cover model. Very good, man. I haven't heard of acute angles since sixth grade. Geometry. <laughs> Still see the influence of those cards with the magic ads. Oh, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, from the top, man, the new wizard, Garib Seamus, kind of reflecting on... Uh, where we are today compared to where Wizard began, and and that's what uh, the bulk of this in, this issue is really Absolutely. is is just kind of a recap, uh, kind of chronicling the story of uh, the ri- the rise of Wizard magazine. Uh, you know, it was a losing magazine for for a number of, of months there, and then it just kind of hit a critical mass and just became more popular than uh, almost any comic that was on the on the racks at that time. Yeah, I can't remember where it's at, but they, there's a number in here of them selling about a quarter million yeah. copies per issue, uh, which does put it ahead of practically all comics at this point in 1995. That's a big number. And I always, and, and they, they kind of cited as like, whenever the numbers were out of control, Wizard wasn't, wasn't that high. They were still kind of, you just need one copy. Right. And then whenever things dipped, same deal. Like you still just need one copy. So their numbers, you know, they, they weren't the highest. And then of course they weren't the lowest. So kind of interesting i always wonder about that because i did think wizard was one of the better sellers especially once the bottom sort of falls out on the comics part of it here's the question man with these techno comics unleashed uh, ads right here you see this 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 cholo type chick this this loca how much influence is neil gaiman who's at the top of the masthead there how much influence you think he has on this comic man like like where in his stack of ideas is lady justice uh in his repertoire Hey, it's pretty interesting how much Gaiman is represented here. He's yeah. got, you know, over a third of the, the ads on that page are no Gaiman titles. I really feel like the guys at Techno Comics raided the dumpsters behind all of these writers and artists like studios and found like something written on a napkin and said, We could we could we could monetize this. There's so much more techno comics than I remembered. Cause to me sure. it was like you know, maybe there's a little more Ultraverse too, but I just remember Techno Comics is like, here's issue ones of everything, and then a couple issues follow, and it kind of peters out. Yeah. That's like a second wave. Right. You know, Gaiman now has three titles going on. Yeah, when comics were crypto. Any uh, any standout letters for you? No, sir. Yeah, I didn't think so either, but, you know, again, going back through these numbers of stuff, and I can't remember where some of these numbers appear, but they talk about like the first issue got about 30 letters and now they get about 2,500. Sure. So, wow. Almost 10 times as many letters. That's, I believe that's it. That's a uh, sign of, of, you know, fan interaction at, at the very least. Beautiful letter art as as per usual. When you're getting uh, a multitude of, of letters coming in, 
you really are in the catbird seat to choose some really really great looking uh, images for envelope art and for the the art contests and things yeah the art stuff is, is amazing and again they talk about that as they recap later in the issue like some of the surprises and once they opened up art contests they were uh they, they were overwhelmed you know what, what? In. you know what i lied to you there there is one letter that's very important and it is the very first letter because uh thank you seth uh you true online believer you and congratulations on oh, writing yeah. the first ever online letter to hit magic words so yes. we're we're in october 1995 and they just got their first email you know what stands out there is that they've advertised like they've had i don't know message boards or something yeah. earlier on you know that they talked about and uh took a while for the internet to really start to like find footing even though it'd been around for what four four years at this point well the world World wide web uh was around for about four years but uh certainly the critical mass is windows 95. that's when mm -hmm. you know moore's law caught up to what a normal family can can afford in terms of computer soft, software and hardware uh, when titans clash the hulk meets uh pit uh one of those other pieces about uh hardware and software meeting the hands of uh let's say graphic designers check out the skewing there check out the skewing there yeah, right these people are doing uh generation one bad mistakes when it comes to internet typesetting and graphic design also really offensive to artists yeah to take to take an artist's work like that and be like you know what i'm the designer of this magazine let me improve down. let me improve john burns hulk drawing Maybe in uh, Photoshop One or Adobe Premiere One, or I guess maybe even Quark Express, right? That was those days. Maybe there wasn't like a shift reduce. Maybe that comes with a yeah, could Quark be. Express 2.0. But we did an episode on uh, Hulk meets Pit, and here it is showing up in uh, this issue of Wizard Magazine. Yeah, I think it's almost a year out from this too. So uh, is that true? It kind of keeps the pit <laughs> the, the the pit track going. The uh, thing that stood out to me because i i was done at this point like i'm starting sure. college at this point i'm not really buying any marvel dc comics i'm not buying wizard magazine so all this stuff that i remember like a blip here or there like the clone saga man they're talking about it and it's like they're retconning 30 years and it's running through like six monthly books and yeah. stuff it's a such a bigger story than i realized oh i was right there man Ugh. uh this is this is a little bit i mean this was has been going on for years at this point uh, but sixth grade is when some some dudes I know like growing up with man they were they were spidey heads and they were going for all that clone shit and it's interesting how you know with retrospective eyes like this scarlet spider character like it's sort of come back and you see people dressed up like I saw a scarlet spiders uh, dressed up at, at uh, Baltimore Comic Con when we were just there this tour thing with she Megaton man Mm -hmm. Dave Sim like I have a comic that has this on the cover and I think it's kind of like a spirits of independence thing yeah right and I don't know if you read their note but it's a stop in Pittsburgh yeah any chance you were there no but at the very end in um the section where they have like all the t all the states towns and stuff uh there is a station square convention mention that may or may not be one that you you attended i think yeah i think the timing is suspect i probably would have gone to that one in like 93 94 Dig it. because i did go to shows there but it would have been a slightly different different time frame um not too much in the in, in this early news stands out to me there's a caliber press listing i think we've only seen them in wizard a couple of times not yeah. too often yeah the max is getting a season two which it really doesn't i i guess they developed it a little bit 
but yeah, I wondered about that. I couldn't remember. They said out. it was just six episodes, so I wasn't sure if that happened or not. Oh well, maybe it did be because maybe the first season was six because there's about thirteen. Mm-hmm. There's about thirteen in total, and they and thinking about it, they did ad infinitum play that over and over you know just you could memorize the whole episode because they played it so many times and uh one of the things they're talking about is uh william messner loeb is going to be writing the gen 13 max uh team up image comics is going to be publishing their first issue of bone issue 21 right. i believe yes so again snapshot of where this comics uh distro wars and and everything is at because that'll come up a little bit in this issue peter david's getting a lot of ink man he, he was getting some ink for like the last hulk story uh ever written and here we have last avenger story ever told and they got him they got him wrapping up uh, all kinds of stuff in a bun there is uh they're gonna do like their top 10 list for the 50 issues and it's based on like numbers of appearances and peter david's like the most uh numbers of appearances i believe like, he would have been a top guy at this time and I wonder how much of it is playing nice with with Wizard, you know, with yeah. the press, because they'll also talk about that and how much the image guys played nice with them when Marvel and DC didn't. Right. And uh, it's kind of cool. Hey, go back one page, because this is this is fun shit for advertising. This is an advertise insert from Malibu and Ultraverse, designed to look like content. Right. Um, people do this all the time, like not just in comics. Whenever I was working for an engineering company, like you would have that in these magazines, in these engineering magazines, where it was almost like a content article but you'd have to have your advert, you know, have to be labeled as advertising somewhere on there. Yeah. Um, Good call, man. I, that would have just slipped right. Pretty by slick me. on their part, though. You know, like it really looks like, oh, here's a here's here's an article to read, everybody. All right. Former Penthouse Comics editor leaps to his death. This was like a, a legendary story when I was at Kubert School, and it's never been sort of. It's very mysterious what happened to this guy. Yeah, twenty. Uh, what is it? Twenty-five floors up that he jumped out of. Yeah. 500 feet that's that is there's not much left at 500 feet i think 40 feet is what they say in a city if you like four stories that's considered a fatal fall 500 the the bullshit is man the homeboy's in new york like there's just nothing but people walking around down there it's true um small small uh mention image dark horse and acclaim i'll go exclusive with diamond yeah uh mirage drops comics line yeah, unbelievable, man. They finished that City at War. They did a couple of issues of, I think it was maybe even a Color Turtles. Yeah, there was volume a Color two Volume 2 or something. And I guess it's going to show up in uh, at Image Comics uh, sooner th- than later. Still, though, you know, talk about like a, a sign of the times changing. Like, that's the end of an era. It is, absolutely. Absolutely. Making their mark. I mean, they, like, they they rolled through two waves, you know, two bubbles. They did. They did. Making their mark, Larry Showman and uh, Todd Johnson of uh, Tribe fame have a comic called The Mark. I don't know if this ever saw the light of day. Yeah, I'm curious about this because I have some Mark comics by Strowman. I think they're the early. I think there's two versions, at least according to this. If this came out, this would have been like a second volume. And the first volume's much earlier, so it's a little bit different Larry Strowman art. It makes me really curious if this ever did come out because if so, this is after Tribe. This is like two years yeah. later. So it'd be cool if they came back to comics, and this would be something I'm on the lookout for now. Right. Because I do see Tribe, com- or I do see uh, Mark comics sometimes in those dollar bins. So I'll be looking a little closer. Any Eisner Award winners stand out? Jeff Smith represented there. Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, Frank Miller. You know, it's a lot of the same same Mike Mignola names Chris that you would Ware. expect to see there. Chris Ware would always get uh, numerous awards. Like it's probably still early for him, 
but uh, up to 1999, 2000, like Acme Novelty would get several awards. Certainly at the Harvey's, which is very well represented. And uh, talent deserving of wider recognition, Evan Dorkin. How, how many times do you think he got that one? <laughs> yeah, I feel like he's still is, uh, talent deserving of wider recognition. Totally. Ain't this the most 90s font you've ever seen? A hundred percent. But I don't care because I'm so happy to see the tick in here. Absolutely, man. Uh, it is a successful cartoon at this point, and uh, it was being promoted what felt like years before it ever saw the light of day. Like, we were well primed as little kids for this tick comic, I mean, this tick cartoon to come out. And uh, it feels like a genius idea on the part of New England Comics, which is a comic shop, to publish a comic that uh, they can then solicit lots and lots of uh, addresses. And this is a comic that got, it might be up to 11 printings for, for issue one at this point. We were uh, complaining about them stretching and abusing artwork. I think this is a really good use. You find your figure and take a dramatic photo of it. Another thing I used to do at that engineering company, like long exposures where you could do things like depth of field. So kind of a neat graphic, I think, for this article too. Yeah. And probably just like a, possibly one of the, the desktop publishers working there, you know, like go out and get, get, get a graphic for this title page. This is a neat article too, because most of this, this issue is focused on victory laps, you know, sure. and, and maybe a little previews of things to come. This is kind of a standalone article. This is just about Tick and Edland and the comics, his background, the cartoon, but all, you know, this is content. This is some of the little bit of content that's in this particular issue. <laughs> it's true. And uh, Ben Edlin, he's one of those creatives that uh, we're very lucky to ha that he even touched comics at all. Clearly a smarty pants because mm -hmm. he doesn't have the biggest footprint in terms of page count or anything, but every single page he's drawn uh, is, you know, accounts, man. Like it, it's, it's, it's a valuable resource and you get some intel on him. He's a little mysterious in, in certain ways to me. I don't know much about the guy, but comics was never his aspiration. And isn't it one of those things, dude, when a guy's so good at comics and he's like, yeah, I don't really care about comics where you just like want to break your pencils and just be like, ah, that's you know, there's always a group of those creators, though, in any industry. Yeah, there where is. Where it's like, uh, you, know, you see it like with, um, I feel like with pop stars a lot, where it's like they have acting aspirations, they have singing talent, they have all these different skills, and it's like, which one breaks first? Yeah. And then that's how you identify them, but then they go on to do all the other things. So, yeah. Sam Kinison playing music. I say it all the time. If you're a successful cartoonist, you're a good writer, you have all these skills besides, yeah. like, I can just make comics, and I think that's what you see with Ben Edlund. Yeah, so uh, he... he People compared the Tick to the Roach character yep. from Dave Sim, and here he is flat out saying, I think the Tick is much more similar to Don Simpson's Megaton Man than the Roach. I that was interesting. It made me want to do a drawing of like all those, all those characters that are ridiculously big upper bodies. With the chin, there's Captain Everything. The, the, there's the a handful. The Valentino yeah. character. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those things that's would, at this time like stuck in uh, Don Simpson's craw. I remember a cover of um, Bizarre Hero. It's one of the last Bizarre Hero issues where uh, this little boy character, it's, a, it's like all the characters are drawn, all the bizarre heroes, and I feel like it's, a, it's like a little boy, or maybe it even is Megaton Man, uh, who is saying, spoon, question mark, you know, just like right. calling a little attention to, uh, to the tick. Humble Beginnings, uh, he was just drawing this, this character in sketchbooks, the guy at New Dimension Com, no, <laughs> the guy at New England Comics, right. saw it and, uh, Gave him a little bit of space 
in the New England Comics newsletter, number 1415, like that's where you're going to get your first appearances of the tick, which I think some of that stuff becomes issue one. I think it's reprinted in like one of the issue one reprints. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. And he's off to the races, man. It takes him about five years to do 12 issues. And in this, uh, in this article, he's talking about working on the 13th, which is amorphous, uh, yeah. vaporware still hasn't saw the light of day as far, as far as I know, there might be an issue 13, but if it ain't by Ben Edlin, who gives a fuck? Yeah, I think Flaming Carrot is mentioned in here, too. You know, it's kind of a short list of these sort of, I don't know, funny superhero Like abs- absurdist yeah. man-eating cow, you right. know? <laughs> <laughs> Nighthawks. There's some of your painting, you know, similar to that cover of Wizard 50. I feel like that falls in that same, you know, similar style. It's all building up to that uh, Andy Kubert. Paul Jenkins, Wolverine Origins, number one. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen the inside of that. Casting Call 8. Who cares? Spawn. It's real funny seeing them try to Jim Lee up a, a Superman with those lines. You could tell it's very unnatural to whoever drew this. I think this. it's Caron Oh, it is Dwyer. Karen Dwyer. So we yeah. know what his natural style is, you know? I have no memory of this. Red Sonja mm-hmm. making a brief return at Marvel Comics. Do yeah. you remember that book? No, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it. This is the thing too, Jimmy, even my young ass, like if you're in college, like I'm 13 years old, I'm checked out of this kind of comics. I'm not buying any of this shit. And this is my opportunity. To, I'm still going to the shop every week. It's my opportunity to put together the run of Love and Rockets, to put together the run of 8-Ball and, you know, keep up to date with this stuff. Time to work little article on a uh, former X-Men artist Paul Smith was touted as the next big thing but something happened on the way to stardom and this is a fella that you know this this article a lot of regrets mm-hmm. in this article it's full of regrets and it feels sad uh, in a way it, it feels like a lot of woulda coulda shoulda the guy's 42 years old and is like, fuck, man, if I would have got my shit together, I would be a multi-millionaire That's at this what he point. says, if he'd have stuck with X-Men for another uh, year or two. Only did 11 issues, but yeah. very well-remembered, re- regarded issues that came up at Baltimore. People were coming up to us talking about and stuff y- they'd like to see, and Paul Smith X-Men is, uh, was requested more than once. Yes, and it, it seems like, like even with the stuff, there were people who are in contact with Paul Smith who, who came up to us, and it seems like he's the same guy as his article. Like, he didn't take any particular lessons away from his his uh hindsight because uh people you know he doesn't particularly do commissions as per some of these people but then you know he had needed some housework done so he'll whip out a couple of x-men drawings for you to fix a leaky pipe or something did that golden age series with james robinson that i think was kind of part of that marvels and kingdom come those kinds of like big yeah grand superhero epics here's the thing though man he's very honest he's like I've been turning in dog shit, you know, like, like I hit, hit the ground running. I was doing all this and that, like, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a spitfire. Did a piece in a Marvel Fanfare 1. Do you have Marvel Fanfare 1? Like that, I don't think I do. That might be one to uh, try to dust off. I might have it. Did a piece in Iron Man 159, piece in Doctor Strange. This guy's a Ditko head. Uh, wasn't particularly interested in X-Men at all, but he got the call after like three, four comics. Said that he uh, tailored his style a little bit to be not John Byrne, not yeah. Dave Cockrum. So that's how you get that Paul Smith, like, clean line style on X-Men. That, yeah. Again, stands out, you know, like people still talk about it 40 years later. Yeah. His but, thoughts his thoughts are like, no hatching, 
bigger black mm-hmm. uh, areas. And you could see it kind of on the cover here. I feel like that's a thing to keep in mind. You know, stylistically, you want to stand out. Sure. Into motorcycles. So what he'd do is work a little bit, get enough money to go buy his motorcycle, and then hit the road. Yeah. Yeah, he's a there's, real... There's some Mike Golden in that, in that story, too. This dude's the easy rider, man. Captain America. Yeah, he. Uh, whenever he found a new BMW, switched their engine after 60 years, and he decided he wanted one. So he goes sniffing for work and gets X-Men Alpha Flight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, he, and once again, he talks about, like, you know, it was like... 32 pages then it turned to 48 he made a lot more money but but he was kicking and screaming the entire time one of the things that uh, i discovered whenever i started to get in the game and, and meet my my favorite cartoonist and and artists and things sometimes i would imagine like man they should they should be way more celebrated they should be you know have way higher heights you meet them and then you realize like oh they're their own worst enemy and part of this article, he's just kind of like laying out very clearly how he kind of gets in his own way. Like when we get to this piece, I think this is probably one of the X Factor comics he was working on. And I look at this and I'm like, oof, you lost your fastball. And he admits it. He's like, I, I just, I turned in crap. Like the, the, the writer, you know, the writers are hitting me up like, Paul, what happened? Complains about the DC paper on Golden Age. Yeah. Dick Giordano tries it, and he said that they did away with the paper after that. Sure. They switched paper because it was so poor. Yeah. And one of the things that is going to be forthcoming is the Leave It to Chance uh, comic with James Robinson that I do think is one of those sort of oases uh, in the midst of, you know, late, middle 90s comics garbage. Yeah. A lot of people still celebrate uh, those comics. Um, it still is, it's a different kind of Paul Smith, uh, but man, you brought up Michael Golden and, and now it's making me think of like Michael Golden because he'll do things with polka dot eyes and, and kind of cartoony. You see the big expressive eyes right there. Yeah, I haven't read this. I have a couple of issues that I've picked up over the years. I think I have issue one too. It might be worth a read to see if it's something to cover on here. Um, looking at this illustration makes me think like early, early proto young adult. Yeah, I also guess. makes me think of Kitty Pride and, and Lockheed. Totally. <laughs> but hey, you know how you know how the image the image model, right? What are you known for, Paul? Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's flip the script, man. The many faces of Todd, who is, I think, like, yeah, 34 years old at this time. That boy has an empire. So uh next time we talk to Todd, one of my questions is about the stuff he collects. Because they lead off, the very first sentence is Todd McFarlane owns Madonna's uh, bustier. Yeah, her bustier, like They talk jerseys. about some other stuff, signed baseball bats. We know that he has the Barry Bonds home run ball. And I think Mark McGuire, or, or Sosa, yeah, he has two. So I'm curious like, what the appeal of this stuff was back then. Because there's two reasons I think you collect that stuff. One is it's an investment. Right. And maybe that's what he's doing, although it doesn't strike me that that's what he's doing, but possibly. The other thing is that it's almost like this talisman. It's almost like some kind of uh, power object or something sure. to, to be to, to be around. So I'm curious about, you know, what, what attracted him to this stuff early in his career. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Now with the baseballs, you know, he, he was on Howard Stern. Yes. Those were definitely promo. And that's what I thought. But yeah. whenever you find out he's been collecting other stuff for years before that, makes me wonder and by promo what, what what we're referring to is uh he was going after there were starting lineup uh figures man that would be you know baseball football hockey action figures that that dominated like a whole aisle in in toy stores and he wanted he wanted to glom in, into that that market 
he was he was a small toy company not being taken serious uh in in any real way so by uh buying these 60 70 million dollar baseballs uh it gets his name in every single newspaper and every single news outlet he's on howard stern and it's the result of that investment that mlb nhl they took todd mcfarland very seriously and starting lineups fucking went away went the way of the dodo i had no idea that was the time frame it i remember him frame. him getting some of those sports licenses but that's an incredible investment if that's if that's what led to it it's interesting to me that this big standout type is um doodling spawn chatting with alan moore and producing an hbo cartoon like this dude had a lot going toys aren't even mentioned here yeah. they're under you know he's done a few seasons of them but they're not even mentioned there and when you think of what the next 20 years are going to be for him or, or 25 years it's pretty interesting what is uh, cited here and, and where he goes from here. Yeah, here's the bullet points of, of what uh, they witnessed that day. Uh, he's got he's to put out some fires with Greg Capullo, who notices that there is a slump in sales, and McFarland has to let his guy know that it's not because of him. Which is true. Like when when Greg Capullo comes on, I'm done. Like like I got this thing for McFarland. Sure, but every single comic book there was a plummet in sales. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, snapshots of a mold for hamburger head uh, spawn. That's a funny description. I was picturing like literally a hamburger. But it's just the mashed <laughs> the, up the face. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. The Freddy <laughs> Krueger face. Looking for a scripter on the uh, spawn cartoon. Uh, what else? Go over the movie script for the thirty-seven million dollar budget spawn movie. Yeah. Checking out every single level of the Super NES game with Terry Fitzgerald. Going over some uh, sketches for Rob Liefeld to finalize which six figures uh, will be a part of the Youngblood toy line. Uh, I don't know that six got made. I know there was a Shaft, I had the Bad Rock, and I had Dutch. And I think, oh, there, I think it was a Vogue, maybe? I can't remember that. I don't know that there were six. Also, um, because they another one of their good design choices, start to bullet list it with almost a... Uh, widow down there in the corner but that it's is uh, funny go over details with alan moore on the spawn blood feud miniseries wrap-up how much did you eat this shit up though seeing this kind of element if they'd have sold a poster of it it would have been on my wall this is at the very beginning of the the, the spawn cartoon also like i don't know if you get like a dvd of the cartoon if they include this piece because what they end up doing at the beginning of each episode when it when it aired they would have uh Todd McFarlane come out doing his best like Rod Serling Twilight right, yeah, Zone yeah, kind of host that. thing and that's where you get to see this bit and I, I just remember watching that cartoon with my pops and he's like boy he draws kind of fast doesn't he like like concern I used to make my uh girlfriend at the time because she had HBO and I didn't record the spawn show for me same deal same deal man <laughs> now she's my wife so it worked out but yeah. uh, she should have known what she was getting into from that <laughs> uh this is a really fun paragraph for me and, and one yeah. that still rings true to me today where they find a mistake checking out the blue lines I used to do this in some of my jobs that's how they would print those like proofs and stuff back in the day and uh finds a mistake and leaves it there and says that you know you have to live with imperfect stuff or it would never get done it's the opposite of that uh, Dan Klaus 5% uh, gimmick. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like I say it all the time, like art just is not, the, it, it, perfection in art is an impossible thing to be chasing. Certainly this brand of, of, of periodical art, that would be the, the heartbreaking stuff whenever I would do the workshops with uh, in academia. And you would see these kids get lost in like a OCD loop of 
draw a line, erase it, draw a line, erase it, draw a line, erase it, draw a line, erase it for like five minutes. And then now go to the next line, draw a line, erase it, draw. And, and just like looking at it, like there are certain things, I have to keep certain things and check myself. And when I see that, it starts to trigger in, in, to, to use a, uh, a new turn of phrase. 100% true. Like there's definitely a group of cartoonists that don't produce work because they can't get out of their that that perfect kind of uh, OCD. How about Uncle Todd, man? We're some cheaters. Who knew that? <laughs> they say never before has he let anybody photograph him in glasses. I never knew he had glasses. <laughs> I thought I don't think he's ever let anybody uh, see them since. Dude, is Terry Fitzgerald wearing boxer shorts in so, this picture? That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Because you see him sitting here next like, dude, just roll out of bed. Yeah. You How can casual see the, is this office? You could see the yambags through the leg hole, I think, man. This is interesting, man, because this is something that presumably didn't see the light of day. It's a, it's a Japanese animation studio putting together a couple minutes presentation of, of Spawn animation. It doesn't look that far different than what they ended up using, but I'm so curious. Like, It looks really cool. It looks like Madhouse level, you know, Ninja Scroll type shit. Right. Here's your toy gimmicks. This is the dope shit, man. There's a dude on... Um, on uh, YouTube, you could find it. He was a sculptor for uh, G for GI Joe uh, figures, the real American hero shits. And he explains the whole process. And he's got some prototypes and what they call bucks, which is like an armature that you then put. It's a human proportioned armature to keep consistent mm -hmm. sizes. And then you apply your wax and your clay over top of it. And then you could sculpt it so that it's legit. And uh, it's where I discovered that the concept of the the pantograph to downscale um, the, the bigger sculpt. That was something that I was always curious about. Like, okay, so you have this big ass thing. How do you get it down to that? And it's this like Mason-like, compass-like. Really? Absolutely. It sort of retracts and bends and has like all the like compass type pieces. And there is a stylus that touches the main sculpture. And then there you can adjust it to scale and it will carve into like a piece of wax at a smaller scale. You go over every every millimeter of this thing and it will carve a reduced version to get you the... Uh... I had no idea that's how it was. I thought it was a chemical you mix. So like you would make a mold of the big one and there's a shrinking agent that you mix. And then you cast your next character with that shrinking agent and three days later you've got the smaller figure and you make your your mold to size that could be in the, at this 90s level but that wasn't how they did those og uh gi joes all right man there's our bustier <laughs> it's even in like that little uh bat cave robin display case with <laughs> totally. the mannequin yeah look this how is... long the neck on that mannequin is he created the man cave got his gretzky gretzky joints Gretzky was always a L.A. king to me. Yeah, a little bit of family time at the end. I didn't recognize uh, only one name in here that I flagged for a possible future pro. You recognize any names on any of these? No, I don't. So the, the drawing board uh, <laughs> contributions, always a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, there's Lionel U. Yes, that's that's what I'm thinking, and, and maybe just they messed up, and it should be F instead of G. Right. He, uh, he had another piece in uh, Marvel Fan, I mean, the wizard fan section some uh some months back i like this drawing that's one that i would uh, i'd probably read a comic if, if that guy was doing a comic that's a power comic a bit of a retro look for that time period in 95. yeah Greg capolo giving us a crash course in in perspective 
This is pretty much how I do perspective. Yeah? Yeah, like find your eye line and build everything from that eye line. And I don't know if it comes from, you know, I, I'm sh this isn't the only time I've seen it outlined this way, but it's kind of a really basic, like, you know, if, if a dude's knees are on the eye line, then they're, the knees are always kind of on the eye line and you can have all your guys in perspective and you're off and running. Do you push it and cheat it also? Sure. Yeah, like, like that's this kind of thing. And uh, we could wax in this all day. This is sort of what Jimmy's talking about, like, okay, the noses touch the uh, horizon line or eye line, as you put it. And if all these guys are in perspective and they're the same height, their noses will touch. I do this. This is the same. It's this is the exact same principle. You know, like everybody's two heads below the horizon line. Oh, I see. Yeah, that one's legit. It's this is the one that's like all over the place and try to figure it out. I was trying to look at it because you're supposed to adjust this as like the the contest trial homework thing. Yeah. And I was figuring like nose, these two nose lines are the same, but then you've got to redraw like those buildings are wrong, filing cabinets are wrong. Like these buildings, it's a lot off. these buildings if are okay. The, if that's the line you're going to go with. Yeah. If you know, like this doesn't work with that, but in certain ways it kind of like, I'm fine with it. He's such a, he's such a good drawer that it almost doesn't matter. I mean, it's clearly wrong, but it still looks kind of cool. This wouldn't bother me. No. Like, I'm going to try not to do that. Yeah. But also, like, if I did that and then realized after I've got this page that I'm happy with that I'm really off on perspective, it's, it reads. You're in an office. You see windows, buildings out the windows, filing cabinets. Like, eh, I'm not going to worry too much. In my original uh, of this, you know I ink this, right? Like, on this shitty paper really? with, like, Sharpies and stuff. <laughs> That's funny. Look at this, boy. Techno Comics is so popular. There's a Technophage fake fake uh, character yeah how about that this black vulcan thing i was reading about um black lightning and the, the the creation of black lightning and how you know tony isabella has claimed to that because he created the character before yada yada so when it came time for super friends like they went with black vulcan instead of black lightning so that don't give those guys a piece you know like so stingy wizard exposed uh this we're going to go through this pretty quickly, man. Uh, but it's just giving you the lineage of, of Wizard Magazine uh, beginning in 1988 when there were three monthly issues of The Wizard of Cards and Comics, uh, which I believe might have been the name of, of the store that Garib Seamus's mom uh, owned Yes. at the time. So put together three uh, typeset newsletters, and that gave those dudes the bug to uh, just get into the print game. If anybody at home watching has one of these ash cans of Wizard Number One, send it here. Yeah, that's an episode for sure. <laughs> Five hundred copies of that ash can produced. And I uh, we're getting little anecdotes all the way up to uh, to Wizard Number uh, Fifty here. Um, probably one of the most noteworthy pieces is the the Wizard Ten. Absolutely. Cover uh, censored. Yeah, that's the uh, cable shaft cover that that Rob Liefeld. Um, just put together, you know, they wanted two covers from him. They wanted a newsstand. They wanted a direct market. He consolidated and put his guy, like, talk about, talk about going into business for yourself, man. Both of his characters on uh, on the same cover, sent it to him, just drew it willy-nilly however he felt like drawing it. So the sizes were all screwed up, and, and they uh, asked to reduce it. He said, don't do that. Uh, so they had to come up with creative ways to um, get the logo on there or whatever. Marvel saw it. They were like, don't, this is bullshit. The wizard guys are like, it's already in print. Can we just still do it? And they were like, don't ever show it ever again. 
we're going to have problems. We're not going to slide you any any uh, intel, any free information or books or anything. Yeah, and who did that hurt? I know. Marvel. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the, he notes that Marvel, they replaced the poster instead of the cable shaft poster. We ran with a god-awful Spider-Man poster that Marvel supplied us. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's such a summary of, like, what's going on there. You know, and I'm going to conflate this with an interview of Seamus later in this issue, but he talks about kind of how, like, Marvel had stopped marketing, and Marvel Marvel's not marketing at the same time that the image dudes are coming up. And it is such a recipe for how did that image and Marvel collapse? How did all these things happen? And it's it's not one thing, you know? It's like Marvel's sleeping asleep at the will. Nature abhors a vacuum. But also, like, around here, like, they talk about, you know, wizard number eight, cells still sucked. You know, like, they're struggling up to this point. And I think Wizard 10, like he says, is the most important issue they ever produced. That's whenever cells start to turn around. That's my first issue. Everybody go watch, if you haven't seen, our Wizard 10 issue coverage. Because that's that's the heart of my, like, wizard, you know, interest. But the reason was I was thirsty for any image info possible. And what we're going to hear later on is that the image guys were like Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane are all like, I want to do covers. I want to do covers. They wanted to sell their image characters. Where was Marvel? Yeah. Marvel wasn't lined up to do covers. DC wasn't interested in doing covers. So you had this new upstart company show up, you know, some hunger in their belly. And guess what? They took everyone's lunch. That's it. Yeah, so this is little like bits of trivia kind of as you're going through here. How about this gimmick when they were selling wizard rings? <laughs> um, Steve Jeppy was on that tip, man. I saw him showing up. Or you know what's a fun note? And, and this goes back to Baltimore is we have... Uh, Tom Palmer Jr. shows up around. Oh, well, we got Palmer. Oh yeah, right. Issue number six, and he's working as Simonson's assistant. Yeah. So at some point, I feel like we're going to talk to Tom Palmer Jr. So I, we'll start with Simon assisting Walt Simonson. Yeah. I mean, man, there, what a pedigree! But there'll, uh, be, there'll be more uh, Tom Palmer Jr. Uh, talk talking this uh, yes. issue. There's stuff like that. There's stuff like Brutes and Babes column. You know, so you get a couple of these milestones uh, spelled out in there as well. We knew him when. Uh, so more retrospective stuff. Uh, we're looking at sort of the next generation of uh, superstar creators, uh, and they had some connection to Wizard Magazine early on. Greg Capullo. You know one of the things that uh, you, you could create your own story, right? So there ain't no Fantagore or, or, a, or a Fantaco Gore Shriek comics mentioned in here. We're talking about what-if issues and, 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 and Quasar. Yeah, I mean, Fanagore's before this, and I assume it's whenever he's working in advertising. Yeah. And doing, doing some black and white comics locally on the side. And Capullo's still a superstar artist in uh, direct market main, mainstream comics in, in, a, in, a, in a giant way. Joe Quesada uh, was in the game early. Um, right now he's with Event Comics doing all that stuff. Like, he... Talk about sizzle and no steak kind of, kind of comics, man. Like... He's in these Wizard magazines promoting this event comic so much, he and Jimmy Palmiotti. And I never seen these like on the racks in any store, but I see them in many uh, quarter bin at this point. I bought these when they were coming out. And I think they successfully, you know, made some Hollywood deals and things. I think it gave him some experience for going on to like a Marvel editorial position too. Yeah, sure. You know, just putting out fires and putting out books consistently and, and working with a bunch of people, you know, like if you're running your own uh, creator own company, like it's going to be a lot of dealing with printers, colorists, secretaries, just a lot of stuff that probably served him well in editor in chief. I look at these three and it's like, man, there's some cautionary tales down here it's because true. you figure in 1995, here are three guys, world of talent, uh, big fan followings, 
what do they do over the next 27 years? That's true. Uh, Dale Keown, they do mention Air Cell for him. Mm-hmm. Gets his gets his uh, Hulk deal, uh, translates that to a pit, and... We'll start to fall off. Sure. Pit does extremely well, nearly a million copies. I can see how... I uh, remember when we interviewed Peach, and they were talking about, like, now, like now she knows how popular she is, and it's kind of nerve-wracking. I wonder if some of that element plays into it, man, where you now feel like there are expectations now that you have to serve a million people. You know what else, too? If you're going from Air Cell Comics, and nothing against Air Cell Comics, but what are you selling there? You yeah. know, a couple thousand, a few thousand or something. To go from that to like almost a million, it's almost like, oh, I won the lottery. Yeah. This will last me the rest of my life. And it's kind of like, if you're frugal and make some investments, maybe, but but not if you're just casually like assuming, hey, I'm good. Yeah. Not forever. Yeah, no, no, no. no certainly not as young as he was at that time. Mike Allred, the former news anchor. I went on YouTube, like typed in Mike Allred news anchor to see if I could find any good footage of him when he was... Just look at the cut of that jib, man. That's a guy. That's a guy who's got a face for TV for sure. Yeah, there's a... I think there's another pic of him in this, in this one. He's always good looking. Yeah. He's kind of too good looking for comics, but it's funny that he was a news anchorman because it's Pat Boyette. Yeah. You know, like he's our generation's Pat Boyette. <laughs> <laughs> now he's never... Now we're never going to get that shoot interview, man. <laughs> Alex Ross, obviously a big one there. Pretty, pretty uh, good story on him too. Just walking into now and leaving with a job, and pretty quick ascension once he gets that first comics job. Yeah. Jim Ballant, no mention of the Cubert School, and I swear he's a QB. He is. Yeah. But uh, it's not mentioned in here. For sure, man. And had a whole long career like away from DC. He sort of parlayed his Catwoman loot into his own publishing imprint. That, as far as I know. I don't see those in comic shops uh, mm-hmm. on the racks ever. And I think some of those like Tarot or, or uh, what's, is there another one? Three Kittens, but I think that's only a couple of issues. But Tarot is the one I think over a hundred issues. Yeah, over a hundred issues of a comic that we've never seen on the racks. That's the thing. When he did Catwoman, like he did, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 issues. And I don't know if there was a fill-in issue, like a very dependable, reliable uh, guy, artist there. But yeah, once he goes off on his own, like figured out how to make that work. Probably yeah. one of the most successful of those like bad girl self-publishers. I, his thing starts out with I buried 32 people and it sounds like you're doing a bit. I guess he worked for like in a cemetery. Like literally he was <laughs> digging graves. So goth. Crazy. Sam Keith. I joined the fruits of the uh, the Max cartoon mm-hmm. and jumped on the scene with Max the Hare. Somebody sent us pr- a primer issue that, that has an original Max the Hare strip. We'll, we'll do an episode on that at some point. Uh, it talks about that uh, guest spot in Hulk 368, which I think really turned him on to to uh, a bunch of us. Definitely put his name on on my radar. Yes. And uh, and we have videos on that and his Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine story, which is an all-timer. Maybe. I, I think we're going to have to hook him up with a playlist to make all those videos real easy to get to. Yeah, I guess there's quite a bit of coverage on him. Yeah. Billy Tucci. I sent you those anti-gravity room episodes, man. And uh, there's like the one episode where Billy Tucci's putting together like a big, a big press party, extolling the fact that sold like one point something million copies of of she she comics that that prior year, and talking about uh, the uh, plans that he has moving forward, working on some collectible card game. Uh, with Jim Lee or something at this time, and he does possess this exact mullet. That's the one I was trying to communicate to you. 
when we were uh, at Baltimore Comic Con, uh, and then in the alleyway ag- across from across from him. You know, this magazine's '95, yeah, and she number one hit stores in early '94. So this is a year in, yeah. You know, like they're talking about like where these guys are or were, and it's like that's still like right in the beginning. Like he he hit pretty quick. Like she hit, happens, and it's almost like I hate to say overnight success with anything. But I mean, like he went from completely unknown to everybody to like kind of a version of Stephen Platt, not quite on that scale, you know, the indie self-published version of it to be able to sell a million in a year. The only way, you know, he, he, in some ways he's, he's a dude worth talking to, to just try to figure that out. Uh, I, I have some, some thoughts about how that could have happened because like, how do you go from nowhere to everywhere? I think he was an early wizard darling and getting coverage pretty early. And it makes me think that like, there ain't no payola laws when it comes to magazine coverage. So, like, what kind of fruit baskets and shit <laughs> was he sending to uh, Garib and the boys? Probably close proximity. I think Garib is, like, a New York cat. I think Tucci is, like, a New York cat. So you could probably get, like, legit FaceTime and, you know, one hand washes the other type shit. And then speaking of the overnight guys, yeah. Stephen Platt, probably one of the few guys you can really point to and say overnight success in comics. Yeah. Because it was like Moon Knight 55, his first published work comes out. He's on the hot list. And that's another one where like, if there's no wizard, I don't know if you can ascend that quickly. They take credit for that mm-hmm. at some point. I, I seem to remember Garib or somebody saying that they were like, we're going to create a superstar. You know, we're going to take somebody from obscurity and, put, and push them way forward. The, the problem with this piece on Stephen Platt. He did a Moon Knight four-part Marvel Comics Presents story that's never seen the light of day. Yeah. I have Who's it. Who's asleep at the wheel? Totally. I have it. We need to uh, we need to take a look at that. <laughs> Norm Brayfogle. That this one feels like now now we're padding, and the only reason I say that is because the dude had a career, man. Yeah, it's nuts. They barely mentioned Batman. Like they do Batman Shadow of the Bat and Birth of the Demon. But was he not drawing detective for like I don't know, four years or some like significant run. Yeah. How's that not a big, how's that not mentioned? Right. Yeah. He's, he's in the game. You know, I get, is it just like, we need another DC guy? Like you couldn't think of anybody else because because the conceit is like, these are people who just came out like presumably like 1990. Everybody else is that way pretty much, man, but he's more closer to a veteran. And of course, uh, Jeff Smith, man, closing in on 30 and the dude, has a uh, unstoppable machine in the form of a uh, phone bone. Yeah, it's wild. We looked at that recently and talk about a fun video, like his college version of bone. Yeah. And then it's like almost 10 years go by where he's not making comics before it comes back and becomes the juggernaut, you know, one of the top three creator owned books in comics history. And it's almost doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Like 10 years where he's just away from comics. All right, we got some Fumetti. Yeah at the uh the wizard office you take anything out of this real sausage fest i, I didn't nothing. read this shit yeah talk about filler yeah damn talk about filler we're doing nothing but turn the pages this is how you know that wizard's doing well yeah <laughs> we just passed 12 pages of ads cheese whiz i didn't read this this is the interview this is where i was talking about like two hundred fifty thousand. oh it's k fabian uh yeah. doing doing the interview and, uh, and again, talk, you know, giving those image dudes a fair amount of credit. And I, I think that that's a thing you can really point at in terms of Wizard's success, especially with that other article where it's like, oh, yeah, around here is where Wizard's fortunes turn. And it's also the rise of image. 
Garib sporting a mullet. <laughs> the Roger Cruz young blood, man. You can't get your hands on uh, Joe Matarera, so you get Roger Cruz. Garib cuts promos on Marvel through this. Yeah. Like, he's pretty hard on them. And the quality of their books, you know, like, really critical of their quality. And then says they just stop marketing, <laughs> you know, to their readers. It's funny. I don't think they started up again. <laughs> Buy Hulk Grin Design with that in mind. Yeah, really. All right, man. Leia Hernandez, uh, manga scene. Guided Japanese comics and animation with a little glimpse at... Uh, Ninja High School, man. Ben Dunn Comics. American Manga. We did a Ninja High School issue number one. Uh, we put we positioned it as, like, is this the longest-running manga in America? Plus 100 issues uh, worth of stuff. And we're just getting that glimpse. Uh, it was it was amazing. Z, man, some Gona Guy comics that, that gave him the bug. You know, I think he's a military brat or something, moving around with his pops. And came across those comics when he was overseas. Yeah, this is this is a, a whole overview of 10 years of Antarctic Press, which is pretty wild to think they're 10 years into the game at this point, 95, and talks about things that uh, he's learned publishing, like stuff manga that he published that maybe he shouldn't have, you know, things that were a little bit too edgy yeah. for, for American audiences. And he mentions the um, the book's doujinshi, yeah. reprinted art that was never meant to be seen outside of Japan, and uh, apologizes for it, but that stuff is from Comiquette, the uh, amateur magazine convention, which at the time was 300,000 attendees. Which, which even back then, is more attendees than San Diego Comic-Con. It has since ballooned to 750,000 attendees per year. And uh, it's going to be running again for the first time in 2022. I'm going to miss it because it's, it's, it's the end of uh, December. But I think the, the uh, Columbus crew that's taking a trip out there, Caitlin McGurk, Eric Reynolds. Can't that imagine that. They're going to that, but check this out, dude. I was reading about it, and uh, because of COVID restrictions and shit, right? They're limiting it to only 90,000 people are allowed in there at a time. <laughs> <laughs> what a problem to have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a giant machine, and, and uh, what Comic Kit is... You know, M is amateur magazine convention. There's not even a uh, superstar artist to to bolster those numbers. This is just doujinshi. Incredible. And and most of it is, you know, boy love, yaoi, gay sex, comics. You know, like that's the bulk of it. You get you get a little Dave Cho in, in one of our. I think it was our turtles episode where he described the culture of it where like there's even like a shame component where the yes like the ladies like bow their heads because it's a, it's a it's a big f uh, female base that uh that is the creators of this and and actually the consumers like at the mandarake in akihabara which like floor number three mm -hmm. is the doujinshi i was the only dude on that floor like and it was like middle-aged ladies who wanted to see Winter Soldier and freaking Captain America, sixty nine and Peens, man? <laughs> it's uh, it's fascinating though. I've been I've been on you know interested in this Dojinshi stuff since we've been to Japan and since reading manga manga. Um, it's incredible to me that there's that big of a of a readership of a fandom of all those pieces in that market and i feel like it's growing here you know it's definitely getting bigger here and we show off bootlegs you Sh know shots of josh simmons man who <laughs> just right. put out the, uh, this bat in a beautiful slip case with a french publisher 
So like, you know, I, I think it's more and more becoming a thing here, and especially with the tools of, of publishing that are available now to everybody, I think you're gonna see more and more of it in our uh, in our world here. But Shouts to the homie Ben. He has been doing it for a while. Shouts to the homie Ben at uh, Baltimore Comic Con who hooked us up with washed up midlife crisis turtles. <laughs> That's a good example of it too. Absolutely. And we've got, I don't know if we have a bootleg playlist, but if we don't, we, we need must. A, we, 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 we will soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because the, it's the same deal. Like those bootlegs are the amateur press that I see for the most part. And uh, send us your doujinshi. Absolutely. And we have copies of the doujinshi that, uh, that Ben Dunn published. Exactly. Four issues, I believe. Transformers one. Yeah, Transformers. Uh, there's a um, oh man, like like uh, I'm trying to think of what the other ones are, and, and they're and like they're a Robotech, of, I think. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, but there's some that's like trademark know. stuff. Like when he says he shouldn't have published that, if that's what that means. Right. Yeah, because they're not thing. offensive. Right. They, they aren't boys' love. No, no, no. Maybe one of them might be, <laughs> but for the most <laughs> part, it's not Transformers hooking up with that. You know, their human counterparts or anything like that. Right. She provided a real service when, when she's putting a spotlight on this kind of material. Absolutely. Even the sidebars. It's yes. just coverage of a lot of different stuff and material. I still don't know some of this material. And dude, this was that thing too where like I was I was just getting into anime and stuff. Like Ninja Scroll was so important to me. Uh, we finally at this point got Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, that's where you get to see Akira on TV. Uh, so Suncoast Video then has a blossoming... Mm -hmm. anime section that's like a bookshelf amount of space you know five racks maybe two and a half of those racks is just bubblegum crisis but the cost right like these one hour episodes 30 bucks a piece for a video um the you know may cross joints may, maybe they put two episodes on a tape but it cost you 20 dollars a pop just too much man too yeah. cost prohibitive. And in fact, I actually have, uh, I have Angel Cop. I have, oh, dude, Ninja Scrolls right there. Yeah, there you go. How about that, man? You know, I got that on VHS still. Here's what we can talk and wax about Tom Palmer Jr. A piece, man. Meet the press. We're talking about Small Press Expo, Bethesda, Maryland, dude. One of our sort of home bases uh, growing up. I used to, I, like, I dreamt of going to that show yeah. for years Me before too. I went there because of absolutely. the coverage of it by, by Palmer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Totally. And, and dude, it, it feels like it was a different animal in a certain way because, I guess, you know, cream rises. So the stuff that he's talking about are all the, the biggest cats who are, who are at the joint. I say that, but they, they would do the anthology, right? And all those anthologies were like super super accomplished there was never a never a dog in any of that uh but part of what he's doing is covering specific people mm -hmm. and then he's talking about how they choose to use spx as either like a promotional uh avenue or you know it's a big money maker for them something like that so it's it's he's talking about the stuff that uh guys are bringing for for promo and things and i don't think really most people think of it uh, as as like a promo piece now it's like Dan Klaus has a new comic out like he'll be a guest and he'll be signing copies you know it's never like Dan Klaus showing up the year before to promote a book that's coming out next year it's never used for that anymore uh, some of the names uh, that are bandied about Dave Sim of course you can't have you can't talk self-publishing or small press without his name coming into the mixture uh, you got guys like Mark Hempel, like those dudes that I sort of looked up to that had a career in the mainstream and did their own thing. Mm -hmm. 
Mazzucchelli, Dave Lapham. Greg Highland is a guy, man, lethargic lad comics. I, I uh, met him at Pittsburgh Comic-Con a couple of times. and grabbed a bunch of uh, lethargic lad. I think I discovered it because he was on that anti-gravity room television show. And he's talking there about distro, which is, you know, it, it's this, like, running under the story of all of this stuff. It's like, what's up? What's going to happen? Because when you get down into some of that, like, smaller self-publishing scale... Like Diamond's turning some of that stuff away. And now you've got Capital City as like the only distributor after having like 18 or 20 distributors. Man, that's just people, it's unsustainable. Yeah, yeah. I think what they would do is um, allow solicitations. And then when the orders come in, if it doesn't hit a metric, they're like, dude, later for you. But Lethargic Lad is, um, it's a very uh, crude kind of prim primitive style. Mm -hmm. and, but there's a lot of substance in terms of, of the writing. Um, so I could see... The distributor being judgmental about that perhaps yeah this is really a survey dave sim uh is nearing issue 200 uh the the entire time i remember like cheering that dude on like is he gonna do it is he gonna do it and i think he hit issue 300 when we were actually buds man yeah. when we were kicking it 2004 something like that funny to see ideas of like maza kelly who's doing rubber blanket at the time but just got a cover on the new yorker yeah. kind of uh, pointing out like how these people are positioning themselves not just in comics but beyond which is kind of interesting because you see that stuff with the mainstream of like oh Spawn's getting a movie and an NES game like these guys are sort of expanding outside of comics too but in a different direction that was a cool period man I had a teacher in uh, middle school and early high school that had that subscription to the New Yorker and she would just pile them up um, I think it was just her reading in, in, in break time and stuff, but they were in the class and recognizing, oh, there's a Crumb cover. Oh, that's a Charles Burns cover. Uh, Mar Mark Zingarelli, the first Mark Zingarelli art I ever saw was uh, New Yorker covers. We might be done. Top 10 comics. Uh, what is this? Presumably of, of the past 50 issues. That's right. And it's based on compilations, how many times these things have appeared on the list and stuff. Kind of fun to look at. Yeah. Kind of fun to see the stuff that like, you know, at this point, when they're talking about back issues, like the Valiants are all just plummeting in value. So at one point, you know, Magnus 12, super hot book. And now it's like moving back towards cover price. Like I'm saying, man, what is the payola? Yeah, that's a good point. Because not only is it is she comics up there, but but it's the only one in its little category. It's a good spot. The head of Vampirilla, you know, to give you some idea on like name recognition, like that is a book that comes out of nowhere and gets a high high rank. Got your first Carnage. Got your first uh high tech Daredevil. Scott McDaniel. Sharing the space with uh Stephen Platt. Comic Watch Nine, Spawn. Spawn number nine, the most expensive comic ever created, not for the consumer, but for the creative people involved. Go check out our court deposition videos. That's the truth. The Shadow Seven. I probably have several copies of this, but I don't know what makes it sexy for them. Yeah, I don't either. It just seems like it's a good story. It's a kid that's going on like a killing rampage and uh, Shadow's a bit of a supporting character. I'll tell you what makes it interesting to me and why I'll probably dig it out of my boxes sooner or later. Marshall Rogers and Kyle Baker on art. Like to see what Marshall Rogers, like. man, you know, pretty hot guy and not sure what he's doing at that time frame. There's your Scarlet Spider books. Like, just bizarre to look at this stuff for me. Spider-Man, Batman, I think there was no fanfare on that release. Yeah, I had no idea it even came out. Underworld Unleashed, 
Talk about a book that you couldn't pay me to read. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool that, to see Batman and Robin adventures get a little bit of a spotlight here, you know, doing that Batman animated style. Ty Templeton is dope, and, and you know, he, he works into that style pretty seamlessly, but he has comics. Like, we're going to be doing a video, or we have done a video, on the Kevin Nolan Man Bat mm -hmm. uh, story, and thereabouts, an issue or two ahead or before... Like, he's got a secret origin story. I forget what the characters are, but he's doing his best, like, kind of toth. And you really get to see what his superhero style is. It is a clear line, and it, and it you know, is... He chooses the right lines, not too much uh, filigree all around it. But uh, he's an underrated cartoonist. He's a respected guy. Like, yeah. I'll see stuff... Is it Stig's Inferno that he oh, did yeah. as an indie book? You know, like, he's a guy that, that I often will hear about from other, other fans, other pros. Nothing yeah, much else that uh No, nah, Kira gets a here. listing there for issue 35. Which I think it's been getting uh, listings for that exact number for, for some time. Yeah, it could be. There's there's the other uh, all red <laughs> poster child for good looking cartoonists. Yeah, man. <laughs> there's your hamburger head. Right. Yeah, it's a kind of a an abysmal time period for comics. You know, there's little bits. Stray Bullets number six is listed there. That's that's kind of a timestamp for me. Joe Matarera, Uncanny X-Men joint. He's on that book for a long time, man. Up to about issue 350. Yeah, and you know, here's... I don't know if this is a Marvel thing or what, but you look under the X-Men books, he's not even mentioned. You yeah. know, like, they're not even... Don't want to give any shine to the creators, I guess. Yeah. They've been burnt by image, so yeah. now every book is just by Marvel. <laughs> right. It's a shame, you know. It's real I mean, dumb. Like, like Joe Mad would be one of those guys you could really uh, build a fan base around. Yeah, yeah, just very stingy. When you when when you know they operate the opposite of that abundance mentality, and and it's it's only uh, bit them in terms of their publications. The uh, so this is your back issue, kind of like what's up, and they they highlight some manga is uh, gaining in popularity. Battle Angel Alita was was that a movie? Yeah, yeah. Let's look at our top guys. Billy Tucci, what's what's the payola, man? What's the payola? You hook up Garib Sheamus with a couple extra uh, John Byrne X-Men's or something like that? The uh, top 10 hottest artist, Frank Miller on Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. No. Number four. That is fucked up. <laughs> Dude, what, what do you make of that? Do you think that they mean to put Jeff Darrow in that spot since he's the artist of that book? Or do you think they're just lazy and wrote Big Guy instead of Sin City? Uh, yeah, I think they copy and pasted. They just copy and pasted. That's real dumb. Shouts to Uncle Jeff, man. I'll see, I'll see you in a couple weeks, man. Trent Canuga. I feel like he's... He puts together a fruit basket or something too for the, for the wizard cats because he gets a lot of shine. He yeah, get, he gets a little coverage like every issue, starting a couple issues back. I think that uh, you've got a young readership, and like when they did that first article on him, he's like sixteen or seventeen, and that was just that's it. Like every every uh, teenager that wants to make comics is now on board. Yeah, they probably got a ton of uh, response. That was something Seamus. Uh, it, it's mentioned in several places in this issue, but just like keeping tabs on readers and sending out surveys and stuff so i think if something really had a bit of a spike in attention they were on it yeah which smart they should be you know any publisher should be i didn't have too much on their top 100 it's a lot of x books something like the top 10 i think you have spawn uh gen 13 and spawn blood feud and the rest are x-men books right and that continues on till like 
you know, the top 20, I think something like 15 of them are X books. Yeah. Which kind of speaks to them flooding the market. Hall of Fame books, Detective Comics, Detective. At this point, Detective Comics going for $125,000. We were talking about uh, at Baltimore Comic Con that very first Overstreet Guide. Yeah. When what was the price uh, for a Detective Comic? It's number two twenty-seven, two seventy-five, two twenty-five, something like that. Two hundred bucks. That's 200 not two hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, man. Shows and conventions. This is that shit where it has the uh, Station Square conventions which which i've never i've never been to one of those ones you know we talk about paul smith early in this issue that's where i got my paul smith x-men all oh, right something like a quarter of book too I, I scored on the way out with all the money i had left oh my goodness you know what i'm gonna need your help on this one i didn't read the ego column i didn't find it this is something yeah. so mcfarland talks about what he knows about wizard and he had done a signing you know around the time promoting spider-man and part of it was at the store the hmm. wizard store and ended up trading a bunch of artwork for hockey cards. I remember this. Including Spider-Man number one cover. They fleeced him. Like they won, the, he even says the grift, and I think it's semi good natured in here, but dude, they walked away with, he said it was like the biggest collector of McFarlane artwork after they made their trade. Jimmy, who sold that heritage auction cover with the Hulk Spidey? That's right, that's right. So they for, got- for What's the number of that? Tell the people, they, they, they might not know. Is it 675,000, 675,000. Yeah. Unbelievable. For some hockey cards. And that's that's amazing Spider-Man cover of Hulk Spider-Man. They also got Spider-Man number one cover, that iconic spider web sit in Spider-Man Good Lord, what would that thing sell for now? Right. That's, a, that's, I mean, that's, it's hard to even imagine. That's over a million dollars. I mean, we could keep with the fleecing, man, because he, he just drew them just a random piece. Uh, he, he added the wizard motif because that's the name of the store, being a nice guy. They want to use it as a cover. He agrees to that. And, you know, it's on the cover of this thing, even. Yeah, I'm trying to look really close at the ab muscles and trying to figure out like what you think he's got gimmicks. <laughs> What's in the there? original look like? You think he's on the blue? I think it's sound. I think it's sound. It looks like uh, maybe a little bit of a six pack in the in the drawing part. Right. So so he's on the blue chew just on the cover That's right. of, of this one. Mm -hmm. New technology. <laughs> yeah, he ends the column with uh, I think it's pretty good natured this back and forth. But boy, the Shamus family did well because I don't know what those cards are worth, but I bet they're not worth a couple million dollars right McFarlane's a businessman and and at this level he he's like good good on you guy you got me yeah. We made the deal we made the agreement i agreed upon it of sound body and mind you got me yeah it's uh it's quite a story though you know it does feel like i bet you he came out of there and was like that's never happening again fuck yeah it's a, i don't think he's gotten rid of any uh spawn <laughs> art smart of course as you could imagine tucci shopping around she I think, uh, did, did Tia Carrera pl play her? Like, or was that a name that was uh, attached at some point? Did, did the movie come out? I don't think the movie, I don't think there was ever a movie. Madman the movie. That's what all this stuff is though. You yeah. know, like, like so much of this stuff. Tia Carrera, Carrera is uh, the one listed in this article, but I don't think that movie was ever actually made. But I mean, that's true for like all this stuff. Yeah, sure. You know, you see stuff like Speed Racer being developed, but who knows if that's what actually ends up being the speed racer movie no man because i mean you how, gotta, how much long you know that's 10 or 15 years later yeah and, and the wachowskis are just uh they didn't even do bound yet Maybe it would be did, a, you know, know it'd be a producer or somebody that got the option and just keeps going to meeting after meeting for a decade with it yeah you know? yeah but when you when you have that high buying temperature of the the matrix directors like then then that's when it's like okay oh, yeah, yeah, we, could, we could green light that now we got good names attached
live action Pinocchio. Didn't that just come out? There, there was a Pinocchio. I don't know if it was live action or not, but there was a Pinocchio that just came out. The Hair Jordan is um, Space Jam. They don't oh, call it, it Space Jam yet, but I mean, that's that, what what other Michael Jordan Bugs Bunny movie is there? And the For time sure. frame's about right there. So that's what that is. That's probably out of all the articles listed. That's probably your most you know the actually biggest, yeah. happened although almost all this stuff happened at some point you know like there's this stupid Catwoman movie um this green day is green hornet which you know there was a green hornet movie like directed all this stuff by comes Mich to pass directed by michelle gondry yes seth rogan what a weird i think i saw an advanced copy of that or something yeah all the weird stuff dude this is the era of uh anti-gravity room from from um sci-fi channel because there is a piece with andrew vax talking about his Batman mm -hmm. comic uh, in in that show. These comic CD-ROMs, it's just so funny, like, how, how all that stuff shook out. Yeah, I think early 2000s, Marvel releases a bunch of those. Yeah. And those are amazing because they do complete issues. Yeah, ads, yeah. letters, pages, everything. Like, like, those are the things to get hold of. And we'll wind things down with a quick little glimpse talk john romita senior yeah my biggest takeaway here is loves Terry and the pirates yeah and if you would have saw those uh 1950s captain americas that he did that were like maybe concurrent or before his his romance career you see a lot of that uh, yeah. in in those captain uh americas and he may or may not i think he some of his captain americas were even the ones that were like leroy lettered uh, because mm. there's a dark period of Captain America where they carry the title, but Captain America becomes an ersatz crypt keeper and just like introduces the horror comic that you're about to read because the DCs, I mean, the EC the, the, the comics were, were so popular and, and the pre-code horror was a thing. And then when uh, Captain America comes back, it sort of retains a little bit of that EC-ishness. He says his favorite work of his own is Amazing Spider-Man 108 and 109. Makes me want to go uh, revisit those. I have those in, at the very least, uh, essential format. That might be the best, you know? Like, that would be the most highlighting of John Romita Sr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sharp, sharp as a needle, that, that artwork, man. Pretty cool. He's one of those guys that's, that's been in comics forever and, and seems like he did all right for himself. And I realize he had an office job. Yeah, it became administration. You get, you get health yeah, yeah. insurance from the company. You're going to be all right. There's so many bad stories of, of that generation of artists. And he doesn't seem to be one of them. Sure, sure. You got to make that Faustian deal, man, and get that health insurance and be be a staff guy. And and then, you know, you got to praise Stan Lee all the time in the, in the Daredevil documentaries and whatever comes out as extra back matter on the Marvel movies of uh, the day. I feel like it's an extra thick issue with extra less material a lot of filler in this one. <laughs> a lot of gary garib Seamus in this one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that doing the barry horowitz hand on the back gimmick <laughs> uh but we got that good ben enlin piece and a couple other yes. little joints man that make it worthwhile yeah it uh, sets up our future paul smith coverage that's goddamn right man you good to go jimmy yep all right man let the people know what's going out there but first you gotta like follow and subscribe to the youtube channel and hit that bell so that we can notify you when new videos are available tell them what's out there jim street angel deadly squirrel live back in print after almost a year pick that up wherever you get comics eight complete full color stories great place to start with my work hulk grand design monster madness 
available in comic shops now, the retelling of the 60-year history of the Incredible Hulk. And pre-order right now, the Hulk Grand Design Treasury Edition, oversized, extra pages, best thing I ever designed. It's beautiful. It'll be out in 2020, early 2023, but pre-order it now so Marvel knows to uh, print a copy for you. And join me on patreon.com slash jimrug where I am just posting a collection of all of my comic book covers is the latest, uh, give, I say giveaway, but downloadable PDF on my, uh, on my Patreon. So pick that up. Should be up tomorrow, the uh, cover PDF. Monday. Oh, should be up two days ago whenever you're watching this video. <laughs> Red Room. Trigger warnings. Red Room, the antisocial network. Uh, murder on the dark web for fun and profit. Boy, I heard that bandied about a whole lot when we were in uh, Baltimore Comic Con. And I thank you guys so much for supporting our comics. Uh, it keeps the lights on at the Kayfabe Studios and makes it possible for us to do these videos on a regular basis. Each of these comics is completely self-contained. Each contains four complete stories and about 70 pages of additional material uh, within the covers of each of these books. And I serialize regular uh, comics on my Patreon, patreon.com slash edpiscor. Three books get you the archive. There's uh, comics up there that it won't see the light of day in print until 2023. You could get to all those destinations in my link tree in the description below this video. Jimmy, tell the people what else we have out there. Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, mugs, and stickers on our spread shop at the links below this video. Another great way to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel. Given those marching orders, we'll be on our way. Read more comics.